Welcome to Every Quarter, the voice of Andover, Phillips Academy's official podcast, where we share the compelling stories, thoughts, and ideas of our faculty, alumni, students, and distinguished campus guests. Our monthly show features candid conversations on current events, academia, and Andover's connection to important matters happening around the world. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a review, comment, and rating. Your feedback helps promote every quarter and helps us tell the type of stories that you want to hear. My name is Allison Irish, and I'm the editor of Andover Magazine. In the upcoming winter 2018 issue, we explored the complexities of citizenship as a theme for this academic year. What does the term citizenship mean? Does it relate to place of birth or residency? What are the requirements of citizenship, and have those requirements evolved over time? Who determines citizenship, and by what criteria? We've been trying to answer this question in as many ways as possible in the classroom, during all school meetings, and with varied guest speakers on campus. In a moment, you'll hear from three members of the Andover community, Maricela Ramos, Elizabeth Meyer, and Eric Rowland, who explore different themes of citizenship as it pertains to their scholarship, expertise, and personal lives. I'm Maricela Ramos, instructor in history and social sciences, and also LGBTQ plus adult coordinator. The title of my essay is La Migra is Knocking. Knock, knock. Who's there? La Migra, Border Patrol. We laughed at this joke as children, but only in that way that you do because you're nervous, existentially nervous, nervous in your bones, in your soul. Had La Migra ever really knocked on our door, it would have been devastating, as both of my parents were undocumented immigrants. When I turned 11, Eva and Moises finally became permanent U.S. residents. It was an otherwise unremarkable year, 1987, except for Eva and Moises, who could finally laugh with a bit more ease after 22 years of an undocumented life in East Los Angeles. My mother sewing high fashion dresses in downtown factories, my father building furniture, and both raising a family of three California-born children, whom they constantly reminded were U.S. citizens by birth, by law, by right. Citizenship mattered because it meant that I belonged to a great nation. Great because it was essentially good and just. And because of that, it was one of the few places on earth where dreams live. Almost 30 years later, the summer of 2016, I traveled with my parents to visit my maternal grandmother in Mexico. She is 92 and my last living grandparent. On the way home at the customs checkpoint at the Los Angeles airport, La Migra knocked at our door. After reviewing each of their green cards and Mexican passports, the immigration officer took my parents' fingerprints and photographs, something that seemed routine enough, though I was not asked to do that. When it appeared we were done, the officer stepped from behind his desk and told me that my mom had to go with him. He then led her through large opaque doors set in a huge wall of opaque glass. No reason had been given for taking my mom. What lay beyond this border? I had noticed a gun dangling from his hip holster. I had wanted to ask, why are you taking her? Where are you taking her? How long will she be? Do I need to call a lawyer? I had not managed to open my mouth for fear that my questions would be met with retaliation, that my father and I would not be left free on the outside to act, to give witness that something was happening. 
The doors shut and my father and I were left standing there, alone. In that very moment, my own status as a U.S. citizen seemed precarious in ways it had never before, not even pre-1987. Knock, knock. Not even all those times when I have returned from traveling abroad and jet lag is replaced by nervousness as I hand over my passport at the immigration counter and wonder if this will be the time my citizenship is questioned. And I begin to rehearse in my head how to prove that I am truly American. I reasoned that once they check her papers, they will see that my mom is a person a law-abiding, retired, Social Security-receiving, fastidious payer of bills, a regular at the local senior center, and avid bingo player. I also reasoned that the opaque doors might never open again. She might never come out from behind the wall, and no one might ever come out to let me know why. It might be hours before anything happens. At what point do I demand to know what is going on? To whom would I make this demand? Were they speaking to her in English? Did she try to talk to them in Spanish? Would they refuse to listen or translate? Would they badger her, get in her face, put her in a van, and take her further away? Had that already happened? An hour after my mom had disappeared, she came through the doors. I rushed to her, asking, what did they do to you? She answered with annoyance, nothing. They didn't even ask me a single question. Ni una pregunta. A discrepancy in my mom's birth date on her passport had needed clarification. That same summer, then-candidate Donald Trump expressed his desire to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. This proposal is not new, and it is not without real human cost. Mexican-Americans have been unjustly deported in the past, such as during the Great Depression, when as many as 600,000 Americans were forcibly removed to Mexico. And in 1954, during Operation Wetback, referenced explicitly by Trump in a 2015 presidential debate, when hundreds of thousands more Americans were removed to a country that was not theirs. Today, my citizenship feels fractured and fragile in a way that it never has before. Citizenship did not confer upon me the power to prevent La Migra from taking my 64-year-old mother away behind the opaque glass wall. Worse yet, I cannot be sure that it would have protected me had I asked one too many questions. La Migra had finally knocked at my door, and the nervous laughter of uncertainty returned. Who's there? Hi, my name is Elizabeth Meyer. I'm head of world languages at Phillips Academy, and my citizenship essay is about how the liberal arts produce the best citizens. Plato believed that the ideal city was one governed by true philosophers who would be educated in the skills necessary to act as benevolent guardians of its citizens. He described that education in Book 7 of the Republic, beginning with guided play and culminating in what we might call interdisciplinary studies, the stage at which students were expected to bring together the isolated studies they had pursued as children and recognize the connections between them and with the world around them. In this way, they are liberated from Plato's allegorical cave in which they could see only the superficial, represented by shadows cast by artificial depictions of reality. 
Plato explicitly identified education and its lack as the tenor of his allegory. Because the ascent is steep and the first glimpse of light painfully glaring, the masses in Plato's fictional city are not willing to leave the darkness of the cave. A select few must be compelled to emerge and acquire the vision that would equip them to rule compassionately but absolutely over the others. Foundational to democracy, however, is the belief that all citizens have a responsibility to promote the good of the commonwealth and must be educated in order to do so. Thomas Jefferson built upon these ideas when he founded the University of Virginia. When Jefferson called the curriculum liberal, he was referring not only to its generous scope and freedom from religious doctrine, but also connecting its purpose to government. Since only the free, not the enslaved, ever had the rights of citizenship, liberal arts, from the Latin ars artis, skill, and liberalis, appropriate for a free person, became the term for curriculum that was considered essential for preparing young people to fulfill their civic responsibility. The liberal arts produce the best citizens because, by studying them, we can achieve what American philosopher and educator Tamar Gendler called escaping the accident of contingency. In other words, the liberal arts allow us to transcend our embodiment within an infinitesimal margin of space and time. Languages, history, music, mathematics, and the sciences all give us vision beyond our own perspectives, which are limited by our personal experiences. For a diverse group of people to work together for the common good, each individual must be able to see beyond his own frame of reference and to engage in deliberative discourse with others who have different convictions engendered by their own experiences. A healthy community requires people who can appreciate that others may not hold the same opinions and values as they do and who recognize the danger of intolerance. Without this ability, we remain confined to our own perspectives, fooled by false shadows, susceptible to manipulation by those who divide community by inciting hatred and fear. People who have emerged from the monochrome of Plato's cave see truth and beauty in the diversity of our world. Such enlightenment, achieved through education, produces citizens whose words and actions foster peace rather than conflict. In Phillips Academy's 1778 Constitution, the Platonic curriculum is manifest in the list of subjects to be taught with the expectation that youth who are educated in the liberal arts would be best prepared to serve their country as citizens and as leaders. They would approach difference with a spirit of inquiry, which leads to inclusion, and they would recognize the complexity of perspective, which inspires balanced and mindful deliberation. This is the legacy of PA, and its value is timeless. That is not to say that we should uncritically admire Plato's interpretation of empathy or accept Jefferson's definition of inclusion. On the contrary, our challenge as a school and as citizens is progressively to reinterpret and reapply our traditional principles in a changing world. I'm Eric Rowland, and I serve as the Precourt Director of Partnerships at the Tang Institute. The title of my essay is Good Partnership equals good citizenship. My role at the Tang Institute centers on our engagement with campus colleagues and the outside world. Our partnerships within and outside Andover invite new ideas, strengthen projects, and provide channels to test, refine, and share ideas more broadly. Learning from and sharing with others reflects good partnership practice, no doubt. 
These actions also parallel the path to good citizenship. With any partnership exploration, we are guided by important moral and philosophical considerations rooted in Phillips Academy's non-SIBI ideology, interrogating what does it mean to partner with others and what are our responsibilities beyond the academy inform our approach to aligning externally. Good partnership also requires regular reflection on the question, why, which clarifies the rationale for collaboration. Similarly, an engaged citizenry explores such prompts around responsibilities underlying cooperative activity while encouraging a shared sense of purpose. Such questions animated our collaboration with Khan Academy, with whom our campus colleagues created thousands of math problems for open use by students and teachers worldwide. Good partnership, like good citizenship, also thrives on encounter. The effectiveness of building solutions through collective approaches and diverse voices has been well documented. In previous experience with international organizations, I witnessed the power of creative, generative interaction involving people from different sectors and geographies. The World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders, for example, spurred innovations such as Deworm the World, an initiative that provides health solutions to 200 million children annually. Globally and locally, building connective tissue for people and ideas to interact represents a partnership and citizenship priority. Indeed, the sum is greater than the individual parts. Of course, the collective flourishes only when each member counts. Giving voice to all serves as a vital prerequisite for thriving partnerships, communities, and societies. Honoring the dignity and experience of each partner or citizen goes a long way to ensure that impactful solutions or policies are formulated. Any partnership broker, like any citizen leader, must build open channels and robust platforms for all members to be heard. In recent years, campus colleagues and local Merrimack Valley educators at public and private schools have gathered to discuss such topics as strengthening students' metacognitive skill development. In these discussions, each participant listens to and builds upon the experience and insight of others. Each voice is valued. The through lines between meaningful partnership and model citizenship play out on a daily basis here at Andover, evidenced by community engagement, outreach programs, and departmental efforts, among others. Alongside colleagues who serve as citizen stewards and community builders, we aim to probe how best to collaborate, build nodes that encourage encounter, and strengthen platforms for diverse voices to be heard, an undertaking that continually takes shape. Advancing such work is important for the sake of further strengthening pedagogical practice. It is vital for another important reason as well. Collaboration provides a compelling model for our students to understand what it means to fully engage in the world and become the good partners and good citizens we aspire for them to be.
Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover and made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. Like what you've heard? Spread the word. Share EQ with friends and connect with us with hashtag Every Quarter Podcast. You can also find us at podcast.andover.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Irish.